You're listening to the Loose Filter Podcast, and with you this week, three out of your four regulars. This is Stuart Sims. Anthony Campolo. And Lisette Sims. We've put together a playlist for this episode of music that we'd like to share with you. Lately, we've been doing episodes that either centered around kind of, you know, an idea or some sort of theme we wanted to draw out, or we've been doing more the Hangout episodes where we just sort of chat and and talk about things we've been listening to, watching, enjoying lately. And a lot of them have been very process-based, so kind of how one idea developed over time. Right, yeah, we've been doing a lot of those drawing connections. But for this one, given that we're recording this uh, about a week and a half after the 2016 election here in the United States, we are at a moment in our culture where the mood is somewhat fraught, I would say. I think those listening to this contemporaneous to its production, we don't really need to say much about it because we're all living through it right now. But there is certainly a sense that I have had in the last week and a half that... Not only are a lot of people feeling very shocked and dismayed for a variety of reasons, but even among people who may be satisfied with the results of the election, I think we are all sharing a realization that there is a deeper sense of disconnect among us than we thought. There's a lot of anxiety and there's so many unknowns. Even the people who are for the unknown, it is still unknown. And so having so much uncertainty ahead obviously causes a lot of anxiety. And so trying to not be political on uh, this podcast, because it's not it's not what it's about. Right. Yeah. Those of you who listen to uh, our podcast regularly certainly don't tune in for our political opinions. <laughs> And we wouldn't want to suddenly change the focus of what we talk about. And that's not the point of this podcast. And that's not the point of why we do it. Yeah, that's not the the point of why we keep making these uh, episodes and sending them out into the world. The point is that hopefully through art we can find some sort of solace and maybe understanding. Exactly, because we turn to our creative works, especially music, I, I think, in times of need, when we need comfort, when we need some catharsis, when we need some reassurance. In so many different ways, we do turn to music, we turn to other creative work that we love. Books, poems, movies. Being a person, you know, all three of us, obviously, and and many of you listening, but when you work in a creative field, when you work in an expressive, affective sort of domain, you do pay attention to and are keenly attuned to not only your own feelings and the feelings of other people, but sort of the zeitgeist, if you will, in the sense of how we're feeling collectively. Yeah, with the internet, it's given us kind of this window into, I think, our collective unconscious in a way we've never had before. And a lot of people are looking at it and not sure what to think. (laughs) We all need affirmation, right? As a human being, we have this vivid experience going on inside your head as you live and are and are this organism day to day with all these really vivid emotions and feelings. But we need to know that we're not alone, that we're not the only ones who feel this, we're not the only ones who think this way, right? Everyone has to overcome that sense of alienation because you are alone inside your own head. And music and other creative works and modes are one of the ways that we do that. We reach out to each other and say, you too is me too. 
music can also be such a shared experience as well in the moment because everyone can be at a concert and experience music at the same time having the same feeling so it's connective in that way as well i think that's one of the particularly profound things about music is that it's an aural experience that can be collectively shared with a musical experience there's something about sound because it draws on the natural world of sound that you can really affect someone without them needing to necessarily understand. There are specific spiritual or philosophical experiences that are specific to music because you can't put it into words. And so I I think that's why we go so readily to music because poetry is an exquisite experience, but words can only go so far. And music allows us to really be in an experience that can't be shared through text. Yeah, it's really telling that a lot of our tracks on the list are instrumental, don't have words at all to them. It's like I've said to students many times, if we could say what music expresses and and how we respond to it with words, we wouldn't music about it. And, we would just have words and talk about it. And I think the ones that we chose that do have lyrical content, the lyrical content is woven so beautifully with the music that it's on top of that it just resonates with the entire experience rather than makes it just about the lyrics. Because words are sounds that represent ideas. But music... Like you were saying, Lisette, it's just, it's just sounds. It's just it's these pressure waves that we manipulate to create felt experiences in ourselves and with with one another. It's not a symbolic language. It's a tactile language, in a certain way. It's, and it and it's a mode of direct expression, right? It's not representational. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not open to interpretation because it's going to hit everybody the same way. It is in terms of like how you want to think about it and res- have your response to it, but everyone's going to get hit by the same sound. And that's why we thought it was important to do this episode and to share this particular collection of music that we put together for this episode with you because we don't have anything to offer about what's happening in our world right now or what the right answer uh, or what is. the right answers are or how to react or you know any real sense of what we should all be ready for and so forth i think we're too busy still reacting but what we can offer you as musicians and as people who like to think about music and and people in music and how it all interacts and and how it affects us and how you know significant and and utterly uh, ubiquitous music as an activity is we can offer support in the sense of significant felt experiences with music and a sense of connection with things beyond ourselves beyond our own time and place and limited experience of the world that because each of us of course is is in ourselves we can't have all of our experience at once and i think that when you really dive into some of what this music offers you get to reach out and feel and be a part of the greater experience of being human and it will hopefully make you reflect on some of the music in your life that's made you feel this way and maybe bring you back to that So while we can't provide any answers, we can help remind you that we're all in this together and that our experience extends vastly 
beyond the present moment. And that's as good an introduction, I think, to the first track on the playlist we want to share with you, the first piece. We arranged the music we selected as a diminuendo. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to start really big and vast. Lush textures. And yeah, the kind of music where it's like you're floating in a sensory deprivation tank or you're out floating in the ocean or soaring over the earth at a high altitude and seeing mountains pass below you. And we Uh, will slowly but surely get more and more intimate. Yes, until we're down to the utterly personal and internal. And what connects all of this music, it is extraordinarily diverse on the surface, but what connects it all is it's music that each of us or all of us feels that in some way offers a sense of spiritual and emotional affirmation. Yeah. Some of it is heartrending. Some of it feels tragic. Some of it feels joyous. So the moods and the feelings that are on top of that vary. But we find all of this music to be music that for us is affirming. It centers us and it helps us remember that when the world becomes tumultuous, you know, there are sanctuaries in our experience that we can go to touchstones where just let me take a few minutes and listen to this music and be in that place and and I will be renewed. It's healing. And better able to go out and face the tumult and the storm. And to know that there's things still worth going on for. <laughs> Boy, that's it too, right? Yeah. Why are we doing all this? Why the struggle? Oh. This. 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 That excerpt was from a symphony, a one-movement symphony by the composer John Luther Adams called Become Ocean. He put a note on the score that says, Life on this earth first emerged from the sea. As the polar ice melts and sea level rises, we humans find ourselves facing the prospect that once again we may, 
quite literally become ocean. I really appreciate uh, the vastness of this piece. This piece of music lacks a sense of rhythm or melody. It is very experiential just in its nature and how it was written. And so it invites the listener to really just roll along with it. You're not trying to attach to something. There's no There's through no narrative. line. Yeah. yeah. It's and not so, linear and that's it. I mean, it, so, it, it does evolve and yeah. it, it has direction and so forth. But I think overall it has a sense of inviting you to sit back and simply experience rather than try to actively listen or anticipate. That's what I love about it and why I, I wanted to include it on this list because it's music that I feel like you said, I like I'm immersed in. I mean, it's just, I mean, I feel like it so vividly evokes what's right in the title. Like I'm floating in the You're ocean and but it. but it really is if if you just relax and, and and all you do is listen to this piece it will take you to a really some really incredible places and and also i wanted to say that it does something that only music created with a large acoustic ensemble can do it creates a depth and kind of immensity of sound that uh, i think is unique to that to that mode too yeah, and agree. speaks to uh, because this piece just recently won the Pulitzer Prize, I think last year. It speaks to the continued relevance of that mode of music making, which is something you don't hear as persuasive an argument for maybe often, but this piece makes a very persuasive argument. Alex Ross, one of our greatest living music writers, called it the loveliest apocalypse in musical history. <laughs> the next piece that we have chosen is one that is very near and dear to my heart and it brings up the idea i think of memory in this entire podcast's theme that having something that attaches to a specific memory can make it particularly moving or special or spiritual to someone and this definitely is connected to a very important memory for me. This piece is Harmony Lara by John Adams, and I saw it live performed by the San Francisco Symphony with Stuart right when we first started dating. And it was honestly one of the most incredible musical experiences of my entire life. I don't know if I can recall ever being so profoundly moved in the moment. What do you love about the, you picked the third movie. What do you love about it in particular? Oh, wow. Where do I even start? The third movement to me is very, okay, affirming the word that you brought up before. It is a very affirming piece of music for me. I feel like the orchestration and harmonic choices are just so exquisitely beautiful it really, like it brings tears to my eyes and it gives me goosebumps every time.
I feel like that piece hugs me on the inside. That is really just masterful, beautiful writing for the orchestra. And again, it does things that only those instruments in a musical ensemble of that size of all acoustic instruments really can do. Something I think that's surprising about this piece of music is how effectively it uses dissonance to sound pleasant. So often dissonance is painted as the culprit of what sounds, you know, scary or evil or sad. And he really flips that idea on its head. He takes dissonance and makes it so beautiful. Well, that's a great point. It's because he understands that consonance and dissonance isn't merely aesthetic. It's dissonance is about creating tension. And it's about context, <laughs> it's, too. Yeah, it's it's like the climax of your story and then resolution. The consonance is relaxation. It's the denouement. This next piece is by Steve Reich called Music for 18 Musicians. This was one of the very first classical pieces that really connected with me and absorbed me in a way that other music that I initially loved and that brought me to music did. It's very meditative and I think it's a great piece that you can put on and float away in that sense that you really don't have to follow many trains of thought or anything like that within the composition of the music it's meant to be a single sustained experience. Much like Become Ocean, that first piece that we played for you, it invites you to, yeah, just sit back and and be in it rather than trying to necessarily follow a melody. You're just not thinking about the music, you're experiencing the music. And this is a piece we've talked about on the podcast before because it's such, I mean, there's a reason it keeps coming back up. It's, it's that amazing. I think it deserves this much love because it is so uniquely fantastic at drawing in the listener to the kinds of, again, affirming experience that we all turn to music for. And we talked a lot in the minimalist episode about the ideas behind minimalism and the type of music and compositional form it is, but I think it's worth emphasizing how different it is from what came before and has influenced so much now in how we think of music in like chunks and little ideas that can be added on top of each other and layered 
and so much of the creative process of it lends itself to our current way of making music with tracks and pro tools and loops and all those sort of iterative processes so i think that this is a piece that is just has so much about it to love and i think going back to what you said before it's very meditative and i know a lot of people are more recently starting to get more involved in and in being interested in meditation and being in the moment is not easy it's not easy to do sometimes when you grow up in a world that invites you to be depressed about your past and be anxious about your future and sometimes having something that can help you be in the moment is a really amazing thing and this piece even when i'm feeling very lost still manages to draw me into the moment and that's not an easy task a lot of people have trouble when they first try meditation and adding music in really helps because it connects you to the passage of time in a way that's very hard for a lot of people, especially now with how we're so quick to distract ourselves or to just to keep ourselves busy. And it can be essential for us to make the conscious decision to turn our brains off or not even necessarily turn your brain off as much as let yourself go to a place where you're not thinking about your errands, you're not thinking about your bills, you're not thinking about even stresses in your personal relationships, you're just kind of being, you're just being. And both of us have experienced this piece live, and I think it invites you to experience interconnectedness so profoundly. You really get a sense of our holistic being. Um, I think that's an idea that this piece, whether intentionally or not, really uh, provokes in listeners, just that real connectedness. Our next selection is Prophecies from Koyanis Katsi, written by Philip Glass. Um, this is actually composed for a movie, and I find this a really fascinating piece of music. Koyanis Katsi is just an interesting word on its own. It originates from a Hopi curse. The Koyanis Katsi marks the total disintegration of the life of harmony and balance. And this curse really is a point of no return in a culture that can only be redeemed by a new beginning. The prefix koyanis means corrupted or chaotic, and the word katsi means life or existence, so it can be literally translated as chaotic life, or other ways to define it is life in turmoil, life disintegrating, or a state of life that calls for another way of living. It's most commonly known as life out of balance when you see people referring to the film. But this piece, Prophecies, uses the text Koyanis Katsi in the music. It's not only the title of the film, the whole piece, but it's also the lyrical content. Yeah. 
this music I find to be very powerful, especially when you experience it with the film that it was composed. Philip Glass is really when his music, when it really hits me, it, it has the ability to pull you into a still and kind of meditative space as a listener where the simplest gesture, like that descending line in the excerpt we just heard, really has a, a trajectory to it that feels very strong and inevitable. And it pulls you into its sound world, which any great music does. But this one really, for me, any minimalism, it just, uh, the way that it lets you get out of yourself and stop experiencing yourself. Like you guys said about Music for 18 Musicians. This is a movement from a piece that has what to me is one of the most interesting stories surrounding the creation of any musical work. It's called Quartet for the End of Time by Olivier Messiaen. It was composed in 1941 in a German POW camp during World War II. You have to try and imagine what it would have been like writing a piece of music and feeling like it's actually the end of time. And he played with three other musicians who were also in the POW camp at the same time. And he composed it for them, for the instruments they played, which is piano, clarinet, cello, and violin. And he wrote it with a very deep religious connection. He's a very religious person. We're going to listen to the fifth movement, which is praise to the eternity of Jesus. In the preface to the score, Messiaen wrote a little bit about the meaning behind the movements, and just a little excerpt from that. Jesus is considered here as the word. A broad phrase, infinitely slow, on the cello magnifies with love and reverence the eternity of the word, powerful and gentle, whose time never runs out. Time is, again, a very powerful motivator in terms of these pieces and how we react to them. And with this, he's trying to create the feeling of eternity in his music and the foreverness of things that are beyond our experience or our lives. And he's connecting 
that to God for him. And in the piece, it's a very long extended cello solo of incredibly stretched out melodies with just a very simple pulsing piano behind. And it's so simply rendered, but stretches out this feeling over such a long time that it becomes so ethereal to listen to. Looking at the track list, I realized that you're right. That's kind of the theme that connects all of these pieces. We brainstorm pieces that just were meaningful to us in this way that we were trying to share. And I noticed, though, that each of the pieces, they slow down our sense of time and our pace, kind of our internal pace, to make us attune to the music, right? In a sense that it really helps you to lose yourself. And I think it helps with that feeling of affirmation. You feel bigger, you feel connected to something larger, right? Like you said, Messiaen slows down this melody to try to convey a sense of eternity. And it also makes sense that in times of, well, for him, like peril, the whole world was exploding. And and now, like we're, we're all, you know, a lot of us are kind of scared that you start to think about if something happens to me, what is it that has meaning beyond me? What is it that lasts? So shifting gears in the kind of music here, continuing to go more intimate, both in scale and feel, but also now we're, we're shifting gears in style. This is a, a recorded piece, uh, a song by Bob Dylan, Forever Young. I'm sure many, uh, if not all of you know it, but it is like a lot of the music we've been sharing even the really large music it's very simple and direct it's very patient but for me here with lyrics actually finally you grow up to be righteous you grow up to be true you always know the truth and see the light surrounding you hits me pretty deep because it's such a beautiful sentiment and it really gets to the heart of what we all struggle with. Two things are going to happen to everybody, right? We're all going to get born. We're all going to die. The sentiment in this song, like Dylan does so well, expresses so honestly a desire to stay vigorous and vibrant, right? As he says, to stay forever young, may you stay forever young. And of course, you know, the whole time, somehow it's overlaid with the understanding that you can't. No one ever can. And it's just such a wonderful acceptance of that, but an affirmation that it's worth it anyways. I also wanted to share another version, another take, another composer's take on Dylan's poetry. 
The composer John Corigliano a few years ago set several of Dylan's lyrics for soprano and orchestra, and he closed it with Forever Young, and it's a really sparse and amazing take on these uh, words also. May you grow up to be righteous. May you grow up to be true. This next track is a little bit more from the classic rock variety, but is very, very introspective in that it's an extended guitar solo, and it's by the band Funkadelic. The guitar player is Eddie Hazel. It has a story that's frequently told along with it. When he recorded the guitar solo, George Clinton, who is the mastermind of Funkadelic and Parliament, told him to play his guitar as if his mother had died and he went into the booth and improvised this 10 minute long guitar solo that's so expansive and expressive and just hits you for me arguably this is one of the greatest solos of all time if someone were to ask me what is my favorite solo my knee-jerk reaction would be maggot brain It is so moving. It really grips you. It's kind of like viscerally, gut-punchingly, emotionally raw in a way. Interestingly, I would echo everything you said for the piece after Maggot Brain, the last piece on the playlist, the Bach Chacon from his second partita for solo violin. And that sounds like a bizarre connection to make. But if I may, before we hear these last two excerpts, Maggot Brain is fantastic, but it's impressive to me specifically because it's so expressive with an electronic instrument. Which and of it's course, improvisational. Is. And it's and it's which I think is a critical element to it. It's expressiveness. And it's one person with basically a piece of wood and some strings on it. And this one has pickups and a little bit of wiring. But the Bach, the last piece that we're going to follow it with, is also for one person playing an instrument that's basically a box of wood with some strings on it. And it does have some improvisational elements in it, actually. A lot of it's not on the page. You have to fill it in as the player. So it does actually share that, though not 
quite nearly to the degree that Maggot Brain does. But I think it's interesting to me that both of these pieces, I think they land as powerfully as they do because they're a person really using their instrument to open themselves up. And I think it's a common thing for people to respond to in our culture you've seen. I mean, for instance, like the violin solo from Schindler's List, there's something so raw and emotional about a single person playing a single string instrument. It's hard to put your finger on, I think, exactly what about it makes it so powerful. But I think that is something that really resonates with a lot of people from a lot of different cultures. This last track, as Stuart mentioned, is Johann Sebastian Bach's Partita. It's a piece for solo violin. And this is the last movement. And what Bach did here was he took, it's called a chaconne. He just has a chord progression. It's eight measures, it's eight chords. And they happen over and over again. And he just does something different every time it loops. But there is a lot of space in this piece. It's almost 15 minutes long, first of all. So it's pretty epic. But there's a lot of space for the performer to really put themselves in the music expressively and it's a very moving work and it's been very meaningful to me and a lot of other people for a long time and much like maggot brain i think there's a desperation in its emotional quality that really resonates with everyone <laughs> 